Hey, this is Dave Pryor for Projects at Work. Today I am joined by Nick Cementa, and we're going to talk all about Agile and marketing. So Nick is the Director of Academics for the Agile Marketing Academy. We've talked with Maria, his business partner, before, but we're going to dig a little bit deeper on why the Agile Marketing Academy exists. And then later on in the interview, we're going to focus very specifically on a question I get all the time in my classes, which is, how do you write a user story that's focused on marketing? So, Nick, thank you for joining the podcast and taking time out of your morning. Thank you, Dave. It's wonderful to be here. Can you explain why you guys started the Agile Marketing Academy? So... If you can imagine, I had come from a pretty large agency background and I had been working on alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and pharmaceutical advertising and marketing programs at a pretty large level for some of the larger Fortune 50 clients and Fortune 500 clients. Um, and specifically, I was doing sub-agency work. So a lot of the big advertising agencies you've heard of, I was subcontracting work out on larger projects because that was easier than going right to the client. Um, <clears throat> and I learned a lot in that space. Specifically that if you work in advertising or marketing, you don't actually work for anybody because you're going to get fired every three to six months because no one knows what they actually want you to do. Okay. Uh, I learned that most of the work we do is completely backwards timeline. For example, if you were to call up right now and want to sell advertising space to Doc Martens, do you know when they're buying space for calendar-wise? I'm assuming somebody does. No, I do. Okay. It's, it's actually, um, it's right now, when are we? It's August. So they're buying for December of 2019. Okay. So they're that far out. So if they're buying ad space that far out, then how do they know what's supposed to be in that ad space or what's relevant to that that far out? So by the time campaigns come to fruition, if they don't connect to the audience, everybody gets in trouble and there was no answer for how to do that because media buying, media placement, and creative are all siloed in different places. But aren't they just buying a placeholder? Like it's just a bucket, we're going to fill it in later, and when we get to that point, whatever we're pushing or whatever's popular, we can just slot it in real quick? And to a certain extent, but imagine that your placement is magazines, Right. Okay. So if I'm buying in magazines that far out, do I know which magazines are going to have the same demographics, popularity, or circulation two years from now? Right. You need so, some ability to adjust more flexibility than you have now. Because I, I talk to a lot of people on the other side of it, on the digital agency side, and they're the ones that get squashed under the heels of it because it's this last-minute thing. we got to turn this around right now. Absolutely. So one collapses. of my favorite stories to tell is um, a friend of mine was working on the Sprint account between the uh, Digitas and Leo Burnett. And okay. they were completely siloed on media buying and creative. And then the commercials ran middle of summer and they were zombie commercials that had no timing matching anything going on in popular culture. And they literally felt they had no match and they fell into silence instantly. Okay. Nobody cared that they ran. And the media buy was millions upon millions of dollars. So both companies were, had the contract pulled okay. and they went and found the new house, what they call an agency of record. Okay. And that happened because it was completely siloed. And I didn't even know the term siloed until I came around the Agile community. And I was like, wow, project managers really think about structure a lot. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, like we just run around throwing stuff at things. Like yeah. that's, that's the advertising marketing space. Like our offices have Nerf guns and arcade machines in it. And you guys are like, what are you guys doing over there? That looks fun, but it doesn't look like it's actual work. And to yeah. be honest with you, I'd say only about 40% of it was actual work. A lot of it is just looking like we're creative by doing fun things in front of the clients. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah. 
But it's like we're in the experiential marketing business or we're in the advertising business or we're in the image business. So one of the, the number one thing we have to maintain is our experience when we deal with people, our image, our this, our that. So the number one client of every agency is the agency itself. Okay. You're always working twice as hard on your image as you are on any of your clients' images. Okay. Does so how do, yeah, it does. So how does this how does this segue into you guys and and agile putting that together with marketing? So think about one of the pillars of the agile manifesto, right? Customer collaboration over contract negotiation. So coming from my world where that's completely the the absolute last thing that would ever happen. We tell them what they're going to buy from us. Right. Your they job is to money. know what they need more than they do. Absolutely. We didn't talk to anybody. We just made stuff. We were okay. just like, you know, we got paid to make very, very expensive guesses. Okay. So when you first see Agile and you're like, oh, wow. So we should talk to the customer? <laughs> what an insane idea. Right. And then, you know, I started looking more and more into it and I was like, wow, this stuff makes a lot of sense. And then I sat through my first couple of, you know, CSM, CSPO classes learning how to sell what Maria did because she had brought me on at this point to do sales and marketing for her company. Okay. So it was like, you need to learn how to sell Scrum. And I was like, okay, this will be cool. I'll learn some Scrum. I'll learn how to sell Scrum. I'll learn what it is enough to explain it. I don't really care if I can do it, but if I can explain it, that would be great. Sure. Uh, as the sales and marketing guy for a company that sells something, the minimum acceptable criteria is that you can explain the thing you sell. Yeah. It's great if you can do it, um, but if you can at least explain it, you're okay. Okay. <laughs> so um, it was one of those situations where I was like, okay, so let me, let me like learn as much as I can so I can explain it. And I remember sitting in that first, that, that first Scrum Master class, and when the user story came down the pipe and she was explaining, you know, as a, I need so that, and that every feature of the thing that the dev team is making, they think about this for, my blood started to boil. Because I was like, how many times have I been fired or friends of mine have been fired or people that are great people have been fired from the marketing or advertising department because we didn't know the features and benefits statement. We made it up because it wasn't handed to us. And apparently the people that are developing these products know the features before they even start making the product. Why is this so out of sync? Okay. Like, why has no one ever just picked up a, a user story and walked it down to us and said, hey, this is why we're making what we're making? Because we think that these users need these features for these problems. Because inherently, at the end of the day, the best way to market anything is to connect with somebody on the problem they're having and explain that you have a solution that works and why. But isn't, I mean, the whole thing has been predicated historically on the fact that we see someone who has a problem that doesn't even understand their problem. We understand it better. So we Steve Jobs some solution to it. And then they're just going to drink it like it's free water. Yeah. But what if from the time I start developing that solution, I am having an active conversation about the features with the end users and saying to them, well, I think these features will best solve your problem. And they say, well, they might, but this could be a little bit better. Or that's great, but it's actually this that we need. So that so that demonstrates more respect and trust in the customer. And, yeah. I, and I'm going to go maybe to an extreme position and say, I my understanding of of marketing and advertising is historically respect and trust in the intelligence of the customer is not something they've been known for. 
No, I mean, that's the traditional sense of interruption marketing or what any of these traditional forms of marketing have always been like, assume the customer is an idiot, assume you're going to force them to buy coercion, coercion, coercion. Right, you're tricking them into buying yeah, the thing manipulation and conversion and, the, and or coercion equals conversion. Yeah. And that's a problem. When, when you go in with this assumed equation that if I manipulate and coerce my customer, they'll buy, then you wonder why your customer service costs are through the roof and you wonder why your rate of return is through the roof and you wonder why you have nothing but bad chatter about your product and even though you have tons of sales. That's why, because you're focused on how to make someone buy, not selling to who needs you. So I wonder if that's sort of like the marketing equivalent of technical debt. To a certain extent, I'd say it is. Okay. And that was one of the first things that we set out to solve when I was looking at the way you guys put stuff together with Agile. And that really, you know, it, 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 was, it was quickly that I learned, okay, I can start applying this stuff to what I'm doing sure. as I'm marketing, you know, formula. And then it was like, man, there's, there's something bigger here. There's an overarching conceptual change from the traditional marketing to Agile marketing. And I started to Google Agile marketing like you do, right? Because yeah. we live in, in 2015, this is about a year ago, and it was like, okay, well, there's got to be someone somewhere has to be smarter than I am and have some way of doing this because this thing's 13 years old, right? Yeah. yeah. So I Google. And there's nothing. There's one boot camp, and then there's a bunch of articles on theoretical principles that one would use to do agile marketing. But they're all written by really smart agile people and engineers, and none of them really make sense well, to somebody who comes from what I like to call the class president jock table. Right. So I like to refer to the agilists. Like, let's say that the corporate world is just high school with ashtrays. Yeah. Right. So that's where we are. We're back in high school, but there's ashtrays, so you're allowed to smoke when you want. Yeah. Um, but you're still back in that same social construct. Okay. And the sales and marketing guys, more often than not, and girls, are like the class president, prom queen, athlete, cheerleader types. Yeah. And the PMI crowd are like the mathlete, you know, really intelligent, <laughs> you know, straight A Band geeks. Yeah. yeah, they're the band geeks. Yeah. And so, like, you've got this stuff that's really intelligent, and it was written by and for these really smart, like, Apex students, and then you want to take it over to the other members of the company, and the company's entire revenue department is comprised by a very different mindset um, and learning style. You yeah. know, it's really easy for somebody who is used to code or used to engineering or used to, to, to project management, technicalities, framework structures to accept a new language to use for doing that. Okay. But when you bring it to marketing, you're trying to do both. You're trying to bring in structure and language if you don't change the language. Okay. So even though the idea of agile marketing was such a brilliant thing, everyone that was trying to teach agile to marketers was trying to use it, you do it using the, the existing agile dialogue, the existing agile um, vocabulary, the existing agile concepts, uh, not repackaged in any way, just straight the way they were. Well, I think they look at it in a different way. So first, I want to just interrupt for one second. So I should say that I was a band geek, so I didn't mean that in a band way. Mm -hmm. I don't want to offend any PMI people because <laughs> I am a PMI person and a band geek. But I, I posed the question, I got the student, you know, I recorded him asking the question of, um, how do you write a user story for marketing? And I posted that to some of the coaches that I know, and their response was, well, all of Agile's marketing. Why does it have to be any different? And it's like it's this big brain approach sometimes to looking at stuff where Agile people see everything in this Agile construct. And I think you're right that there's a language disconnect 
when we oh, go down and talk to normal people. disconnect, Dave. Yeah. That was, you know, I was able to apply Agile to our stuff, to our marketing campaigns, and immediately the, the revenue at, at Formula Hockey Sticked. Like, as soon as we started doing this stuff, we literally went from, you know, last year's revenue we did this month. That's and it great. was like, whoa. So with user stories, if you're approaching, I mean, if everybody understands the, the basic simple definition of user stories as a, some person, I want to some action. So I get some benefit. How does that change? If you take it out of the context of software and put it into the context of marketing, like how would you write it's that differently? Really how would you use it as an ideal customer? I need this solution so that these problems and symptoms are alleviated. Okay. And if you always re- re- approach your your user story and remind yourself that it's ideal customer, not as anybody, not as a user, because when you say user, you immediately try to figure out what benefits it would have to any user. So you're going after personas then? Correct. We're going okay. in a lot deeper into the persona and we're looking at what makes an ideal customer, what makes them happy, what truly are the symptoms at the end of the day that are leading up to this larger problem that is an expensive problem to them because of the time or cost that's involved in it that we want to sell and make our money on. Okay. And if you always approach it as, as a ideal customer, I need these solutions and always describe your product in terms of the solutions it provides so that these problems and symptoms and reminding yourself the empathetical connection to truly understanding your customers' problems and the symptoms around those problems. Yeah then you're going to get a much more detailed version of a user story. And I know it's only supposed to be three sentences, but I have a process to where you actually ask an extra, an additional like 19 questions okay. around those three pieces of the user story to hone down an actual sales letter right from the user story. Okay, so can we unpack this a little bit? Because I want to make sure that I have one thing clear. So when we talk about this approach, what you're advocating for is develop spending the time to develop a much deeper understanding of who the user is, what their pain points are. I mean, some people do that, but some people don't. Uh, hopefully our product owners are spending time on that. But what you're not um, what you're not saying, and this is the part where I was getting kind of strung up with it is if I think of a marketing user story, there's a part of my brain that's thinking it's like Mad Men in reverse. Like as the customer, I want you to exploit me this way by feeding me this image. Like I want you to make my, you know, eight year old want cigarettes by putting a cartoon character on the box so that my kid will be addicted to cigarettes and get cancer. Like that, no <laughs> one's going to write, but no one's going to write that, but that is the reverse Right. I mean, there had to no, be somebody who no, was like, the, let's the, create a cartoon character to get kids sucked in earlier so that we have a longer tail on our customer base. Yeah. And, and that's the traditional way of looking at it is like, how do I coerce and manipulate you? Right. Right. And the reality is, is that if you want truly, truly, truly high conversion rates and you want low cost of operating, then you can't do that. Okay. Because the second you focus on who are ideal customers, Dave, not only does your conversion go up to where you start selling more. Right. But your customer service goes down because you got because more, empathy, ideal customers. Em- more empathy for the actual end user. Yeah. And they need it. So they're okay. not calling you up to bug you about stuff because they actually need the solution you're providing. Okay. Your rate of return goes down. Your customer satisfaction goes up. So then this approach of doing, it's almost like a marketing research approach. You're going to it get is. better understanding and that's going to drive better quality for the output of the company as a whole. And Absolutely. drive down costs that way as well. Across the board. Okay. 
because you're it's it's a you know the the fun thing is that one of the, the every single person I have met in the agile community has had the same thing they've said they're like it's about a fundamental mindset shift that's the only way you can get people to embrace this stuff and on the marketing side there is a fundamental mindset shift there's actually two huge ones that have to happen okay okay number one is it is more efficient to only pursue ideal customers not everyone is your ideal customer right so that's the first big mindset shift because a lot of these giant companies you know the bigger the company the more when you say who are you making this for like everybody's our potential customer it's like no there's no product on earth where everyone is your potential customer yeah and number two is there is no such thing as offline marketing so explain what you mean by that i mean that if you are doing your job right everything from a magazine to a billboard to skywriting should enter into a point online where it becomes trackable, that that's where it came from, and then be part of some larger system of interaction with the customer that is automated. Wow. So this is like me with the art of war where everything is a negotiation. Okay, this is pretty cool. So you're saying that there's got to be a way to track back to an origin point for every action that any customer takes, even if it starts way offline. They're in the way comic, offline. You said they see a billboard, they see a magazine and an ad and a they hear a radio commercial. Sure. So there's some way that you can track, but how would you track that back to somebody hearing a radio commercial? Unique phone numbers, unique IP addresses, unique URLs. Okay. Anything you can get that's unique into the ads, into the differentiated ads, and you can do that. You can batch ads. Okay. So if I'm even doing, you know, like I said, if I'm doing a billboard and I buy 10 billboards on a, on a street and they're for one open house, let's say, and that open house is, you know, a mile off the highway, I'm going to buy 10 billboards for that open house the first week, right? And I'm going to put a different phone number on each of those billboards or a different trackable code or a different name, something that is different for each of the 10. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to record who shows up at the open house from which ad they came from. In some form or fashion, if I say, you know, in order to come, you have to reserve, text this number while you're driving, and there's a different number to text on each billboard. Okay. So I know which one they saw, which was the most effective one that they saw. <laughs> okay. Right? So, yes. Then I eliminate the ones that didn't work. <laughs> All right. So hold on for a second, because I'm going to, I wanted, we're going to go off the rails in a minute, but I just want to close out the question for the student. So when we talk about the user story, the marketing user story, what we're talking about is actually writing a user story where we have plumbed the depths much deeper on understanding who the customer is, who we're targeting specifically, which is a segment of who the potential. Who our ideal right? customer is. What their pain is. We're just trying to get a deeper understanding. So personas is the beginning of that, but there's a lot more research that can go and into that. And how does our product solve that pain in its entirety? Okay. So Some of the big questions I use are like, have you ever personally been affected by the problem your company solves? Okay. Right? How do your best customers normally react to seeing your solution? Yeah. These things help us understand what makes a best customer. You know, if you have an existing product that you're trying to figure out how to better market, the first thing you should do is go get all of your testimonials and reverse work a persona out of them. Okay. So there's always a way to hone down. Yeah. All right. So don't give more away because if they're going to learn more about this, they can take your class. Oh, absolutely. All right. So, Let's get all Skynet with this thing. So I know because I used to work in a marketing company that did work in supermarkets that when you go into a supermarket, you don't actually have a lot of choice there. They've they've got you pinpointed down to the fact that they know who you are, how much you make, what your educational background is, when you when you show up, what items go in your cart, in what order, how many seconds you're standing idle at a certain point in the store where they can advertise you, that if they reduce the price of this, it sells something else. So 
you're like a mouse in a chute when you go in a supermarket. What you're advocating, if we get to that depth of marketing, is that everything we experience will be like that, which is great for offering targeted solutions, but could also be horribly evil. <laughs> well, okay, first of all, any t- information itself is neutral. Okay. Okay. What you do with information is, is going to be good or evil. Okay. Just because yeah. I, you know, if I know somebody drinks and I use it to blackmail them or I get them into rehab, my actions dictate what I did with the information, not the information itself. Sure. Right. Yep. Um, also, Alistair, um, just walked in. If you want to go back to that last question, it might be worth getting his two cents on that. On the marketing user story? Yes. So he okay. was asking. Hi, Alistair. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining it, for joining in. Yeah, it's kind of cool visiting Nick here in Gulfport and then seeing he's uh, being interviewed by you and getting to just stop by for a moment. <laughs> just, I've never had a special guest star <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> before. So, cool. uh, what's Al- the question? So, so, do you want to tell him, Nick? Or so you can probably so hear you. They were, he was asking, like, what was it that made writing user stories for marketing, and what, like, what brought it to that? And I was saying that it's the idea that you had to get a mindset shift of who the person they were building was, ideal customer. So that's my big jump uh-huh. over is that. Uh-huh. It's a user story about the ideal customer, not just why anyone would want to buy something. Yeah, okay. the, the question that comes up in class is, how do I write a marketing user story? So, mm, mm. as a master of use cases, I thought your two cents might be interesting here. Well, my question um, for you back, Nick, is do you use personas or, or idealization or role descriptions? Uh, a persona is a specific person that you bother to like concretize in an idealization of a role description. You say, we're going to target, uh, let's say, uh, uh, people between the age of 25 and 35 who spend three hours a day on Instagram. That's an idealization of a role. We go but down all say, the way to a persona. So, so you say, let's take you know, Jenny or Bob, yeah, like, and this is where they live and what they look like and who their friends are. You get real specific. Location, demographics, interest, behaviors is the, the beginning of that. And then understanding the pain points as well as the overarching symptoms around their problem and why they would require a particular it's solution. It's a role description. So it's an uh, idealization uh, of a role description. You know, there's a category of people who have this characteristic. Okay. The difference is now. Let's say you concretize one of those. Okay. I happen to, and, and you and my. I prefer, by the way, Dave. Is uh, most people use totally fictitious uh, personas. Right. I like to pick a person I know personally. Really? Because, absolutely, because I know this person. I I know what they sound like. I know what the reaction is. I know them. So I you know. have more empathy, and you can also go ask them questions. <clears throat> well, often I can't, you know. But okay. but um, let's just. I'm going to pick a particular guy that I know just popped in my head right now. He's the owner of a private company, and I went to interview him and he used Dragon Talk. He said, you can't keep up with me uh, in your writing, so I'm just going to – and so he did everything by audio recording and voice recognition. Okay. <laughs> and at the end of the, the interview, I was like so happy he had done it. There's no way I could have written down what he, had, what he had done. So if I say, you know, his name is Thomas, mm-hmm. and I say, we're going to see what, what it takes to market Thomas – Okay. Now, Thomas is in the demographic. He meets all your characteristics. Uh, but his name is Thomas, and he is 53 years old. And uh, he does own this paint company or this company that does this thing with paints and stuff, right? Okay. It's him. Okay. It's him. Now, we're going to market to him. If we get him happy, we'll get a large percentage of the other people in the that are like him. happy. So my preference these days um, is, is when I can. And it's kind of at the level of an experiment. It's not like we know the answer is to have – is to experiment, have people write user stories, you know, as Thomas, 
I want this because it's not just a, it's not just a preferred purchaser, a, a hot lead in a demographic. It's Thomas. Huh. Now we could totally visualize how is Thomas going to feel about this, right? We discuss Thomas's personality, how he makes decisions, and we pick up all the rest of the demographic at the same time or some percentage. My, my, my concern here and my only concern is that if I'm trying to get a team of marketers to collaboratively develop said persona, they don't all know Thomas. Maybe one person no, in the group you, knows you, Thomas. You one, that's all you need because for the rest, it's no worse. It's no worse than a role, an idealization. And but they can ask him lots of questions about that one person that he knows. Ah. So they can keep fishing for more information. How does Thomas react to this? Thomas react to that? How would Thomas feel about? Because this person knows the answer to those questions. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So now they collaboratively. So so they take you know, who do they produce? Well, different ones. So you've got different categories of leads. Right? Mm. right? You've got the resistant lead. You've got the eager lead. You want, you, the guy already knows everything. The guy who asks a thousand questions. They're not all the same leads. Their personalities are different. So you don't just say as a I you know, right? That. So you, yeah, right. So you've got you've got Thomas, and you've got you know Thomas's whatever, Thomas's wife, and Thomas's lieutenant, and Thomas's alter ego in a different company who happens to operate a different way. Now your marketing user stories may come out differently because the personality is different. Uh, you see, I'm, I'm see, this. In, in our so process, I like it, but, but, but yeah. because if you don't account for the personalities, then actually in the marketing sense, the way you proceed is going to be different. You know, you'll miss. I'm thinking. So what I like about what you just said is that I'm allowed I think, to say on the show, by the way, Dave, I'm just talking through my ass here. Yeah. because <laughs> I know nothing about marketing. No, this is great. Right? But, this is great. But I think, I think Alistair, everybody's going to respect anything you have to say about this stuff. I don't think that's going to be an issue. <laughs> so I'm, I'm doing it by way of experiment. I'm watching Nick's face to see if it's, if it's, you know, lining with his experiences with these people if you could see it working or not working. Well, right? what I can see working about this is that when we begin that phase of like that chunk persona saying to the entire team, now think of one person that you know, like that each of you separately. And then we're going to have you each write a user story to that specific human being you actually know. Totally. And then we'll test those personas you can see how much doing a small is. ad by oh, it a little ad, like yeah, this. And especially marketing people do. I, I just imagine. changed my course because of this conversation. Lovely. So, you know, <laughs> thanks. Bang, that I have to go back right and re-record here. stuff now. There you yeah, go. it's okay. But that's, but that's good. But <laughs> it's um, iterative, man. I'm, I'm imagining, <laughs> and I know there are categories of people that marketing people is the programmers are, are NT category people, right? They're right. idealistic thinkers, abstract thinkers. I'm imagining that marketing people think concretely. Nurses, for example, can't do abstract thought. Every case is a separate case for them. They okay. never generalize. They say, I have a person here with this thing. He needs 30 mils of this and this you know, tablet. They will not generalize from that to any other case. Okay. Uh, they can't do it. Um, and so when programmers talk to nurses, it's difficult because programmers abstract up all the time. I'm proposing here that maybe marketing people like concrete scenarios, concrete stuff. They've never done anything like this before. They don't really personify what we well, really, what we, the traditional method. To, yeah. We're asking them to change the way of thinking into an abstract thinking mode, mm-hmm. which could be good, could be bad. I'm proposing if we stay with the concrete, okay, each one of you think of one person that you know that's in this, has these characteristics, write down the name of that person. Yeah. yeah. We're going to discuss these stories and trade notes. And we're going to pick one maybe for the group. Yeah. I'd, let's, okay? I like that. Right. But then they're all living in their own, their own daily world. 
Well, what you would do is you would take the targeting criteria that we do in a, in a previous exercise, yeah. and then you would take each of their user stories, yeah. and then you would spend $20 on Facebook and test each of their user stories on the general targeting criteria right. and see who is the super user that actually has the most response. So in that case, yeah. if Thomas's user story to the same audience as Billy's user story hits twice as hard, Online. then we want to focus everything on Thomas specifically because that's our real ideal user. And, but in particular, more more in marketing and sales Agreed. than in than in software, the personality of your target user, your proposed target user, indicates different paths. And Absolutely. that's why I would have different personas, specific people. What's well, authenticity for and empathy. For the different personalities, even if the, you know, the, what we do is we say as a, and it's a generic, it's too generic for marketing, in, mm. my, in my opinion. So as a, as an interested client, as a lead, as a hot lead, as a as a resistant client, way too general. So should I remove the as a and just put names at the top of the user I, I, So what I do, uh, Dave, for this, I actually came up with a post-it design that, that's probably on um, um, Sticker Mule right now or one of those places. It is. Um, where I use a visual grammar, and, and Dave, you know what a visual grammar is. Yep. So, so it bothers me, one of the things that bothers me about as a so that is the cards are filled up with words so you can't find the important part the important words in the noise. Okay. And by using a visual grammar, I put in a light gray the phrase as at the top left, um, but you're never going to write that. You're going to overwrite that with, in black ink, the, the name of the role or the persona. Right. So the name, it's a visual grammar, is always on the top left. Then draw a diagonal a line across the, you know, from, from bottom left, upper right. And on the, on the left side, we do the I want part, but you never write the words I want because you just know it's on the left side. Sure. And on the right side, you write the so that. So now the only words that are written on the on the card are those that contain in, information. Right. You don't need the brackets, basically. You don't. Yeah. The 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 verbs are um, implied. Uh, are, are visual noise. They distract yeah. from the content, the message you want to get. Right. Right. So you don't have to write as a. You just put it in the top left, and you're done. Everybody knows that's the as a. Right. And you mm-hmm. save. You so it's almost like a markup language. Uh, it's it's a visual grammar. Yeah. Is the okay. Word. All right. Cool. Hey, well, I've I'm um, taking away your time. No, this is great. great. Thank I'm, you, man. Moving on. It was it was fun talking with you again. Yeah, you too. Thank All you right. very much. We're going to see what happens with Nick's course next. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, see in a bit. Cool. That was a big noise. That was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, his existence is a big part of how this stuff came to be. If you can imagine, he'll come and stay with me sometimes for weeks, sometimes for a month. Um, and he'll just kind of spew that stuff that kind of pushed Agile into existence with the other 16 guys yeah. into my head. And then we'll discuss, and then he's like, so in your 12 years of experience, how does this apply? And then I'll so, be like, well, I think it works this way. And he'll be like, maybe. But this is but a big part of way. it, I think. So, I mean, you know, you mentioned that there wasn't anything about Agile and marketing. I've had classes recently um, where people from universities are coming because they're trying to build programs around this. It is something that's growing, but it's something that's being figured out. Like Alistair said, he's just, you know, throwing it against the wall to see how does it sound? How does it resonate? Um and, and we a, have an that, unfair advantage because we have myself and my background and everything that I have learned and all the time that I've spent in and around different advertising communities. The last few years of getting really ingrained and involved in the internet marketing community and being able to work with, develop friendships with some of these really strong internet marketers. And then Maria being Maria and introducing to me to people like Alistair and having someone like Alistair over the last two years just kind of come into my life and become this 
roving house guest that shows up every so often and stays for indeterminate periods of time and just helps me work through big chunks of things that are trying to be solved. And, you know, he actually said when we were developing the course, it's one of our, one of the things I love to show people is when he was asked, why do you think it's going to work this time with what Nick and Maria are doing? He was like, well, Nick has the language and vocabulary from the marketing sector. Right. And he's worked really hard to translate everything of this agile language, of this agile, you know, vocabulary dialogue, these stories into the marketing <laughs> stories. And he actually, he's been able to do it because of that. It's not yeah. that he's out there making something new. He's just been able to successfully translate the last 13, 14 years of stuff into this vocabulary that he has been living, speaking for the last 13, 14 years. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of the community too. That I find different, not that it doesn't exist in the PM community, but there's very much this openness and sharing aspect to agile where people like the people like Alistair, the guys who created this stuff, they want to help it go forward and they're happy to help other people find ways to take it to another step. Oh yeah. If he awesome. told me that he was going to like just show up into my life and push me in, into the direction of being like, well, if you think you can bring this stuff there, you should do it. And I was like, well, why me? And he's like, why not? Yeah. People should keep trying until <laughs> someone pulls it off. And I'm like, okay. And then <laughs> when it started working, he was just like, Hey, I'm going to come hang out with you for a while and talk to you about some stuff that you might want to adjust. And I was like, oh, okay, course correction. Yeah. And then, you know, every so often he'll just kind of pop in and I mean, he's a, he's an amazing character. Um, and I, I love going to the agile conferences and hearing like these third party stories about him from like the last several years of his life where people are like, did you know he did this to me? And I'm like, Oh, that sounds like something he would do. He's a really, yeah. you know, I heard, you know, just the, he has, um, he has a zest for life that you don't often see in someone that spent their entire life working with giant corporations. Yes. yes. Um, and I think that's very unique to him. Um, and I really enjoy that about him. And that's kind of, I think that's why as a marketer who has been basically made his career being an over the top personality yeah. to meet that over the top personality from the agile community. And he was immediately just like, Oh, you're not from around here. Are you? I was yeah. like, no, what planet do they make you on, sir? And we immediately <laughs> just kind of connected. Um, and it's been, you know, I'd say without his, his two cents, his influence, um, just his insight on everything that, that Agile was supposed to do. Yeah. And the things that it is doing and the things that it's still working towards being, yeah. which is a universal form of collaboration for everybody in the large organization. Yeah. And that's one of the coolest things. I love, have you like sat down and looked at his new Heart of Agile content where not, he's like- Not yet, but don't give that away because I want to do an interview with him while I was at your house about that. So okay, leave okay, that I will, I will. I'll, just, <laughs> but, I'll give you one- There's a lot room. of people who feel like Agile's this teenager that has not really turned out to be the kid we wanted it to be. <laughs> well, you know, the great part about a teenager is that they're not done growing up and most of us don't figure shit out until our 30s anyway. Yeah, we kind of, sometimes it feels like we might need to send it off to boarding school. You know, it did wonders for me. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, uh, I, w I went to a military school in like nay five miles from where I currently live uh, okay. after, after being politely asked not to come back to a Catholic school. And I will say, um, you know, it does, it's, uh, it does a really great job of, of giving you some focus and some determination and, and just, you know, explaining to you like, hey, a lot of the things that you tell yourself you cannot do is because you are telling yourself, not because you actually cannot do them. Yeah. And uh, that was a really eye-opening experience. 
So cool. you know, maybe Agile does need some some boot camp. Maybe it needs a little a little time a to itself to be down. quietly calmed down. <laughs> it's go sit in the corner. Um, well, just remember that's how life naturally works. Yeah, it, I know. It's, it's more and more and more noisy and complicated and louder until it finally breaks. Yeah. And I think that's what happens to all of us in our thirties is that we hit that point where we think we're going to do everything and we're going to you know we're going to be everything to everyone up through our entire twenties and then we hit our thirties and we're like, no, nah, I'm going to be yeah, just, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, I can't do <laughs> just that. Just going to do think, one thing exactly. And I think agile has. <laughs> to get to that point, you know, as a being, if we're yeah. going to describe it and completely, uh, what is that word? Valmorphifies it. I don't even know what that means. Something. It's like <laughs> when you make something have human like characteristics, there's anthropomorphize. A anthropomorphifies. Yeah. It's close enough. It was close. Yes. Um, I, I the do efforts make there and that's what matters. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so if people want to find out more about what you and Marie are doing or sign up for one of the classes, where do they go to do that? So like, here's the thing. Um, when we started putting the curriculum together for this, it was, there was a couple of things we were looking at in terms of like how teaching needs to be done. So we realized that you can teach most things in a two day class and most people can grab a lot of concepts, especially if you hit them hard and fast like that. Yeah. But the, the follow up is really important too. Okay. You know, how they continue to interact with that information. So the way we constructed our course is it's actually a blend. Um, when you come online and you purchase our course, you actually get the ability to take the entire thing online, but you also get a pass to come to the two day when it's close to you. Oh, that's great. Okay. So cool. what that allows you to is either start right away yeah. and work through the thing and then say, Hey, I need this refresher at some point. Right. Or if the two days close to you right away, start in person and keep working your way, you know, redo it online. That's a really cool idea. We also have 17 exercises that are part of the practical application of Agile uh, in marketing. Everything from that user story writing, persona building, targeting, ad development, sales copywriting. And so there's a workbook online that allows you to have a framework to assist you in doing those things over and over and over again until you've honed them down like the edge of a fine blade. That's great. So we've been kind of hybriding the whole thing together to where it's like, hey, it's a two-day class plus a year of online with this workbook that you should be doing all the time. Yeah. That's why people are getting the results they're getting. Okay. Um, so you can find all of that by going to agilemarketingcertification.com. Okay. Um, and forward slash. Uh, just send them there. Don't give them the slashes. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, Screw the slashes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's Nobody not, cares it's, about slashes Well, anymore. it's not a, I mean, they'll find it. It's not like a super complicated site. Or they can send an email to info at agilemarketingacademy.com. That's always an, uh, a totally doable thing. Okay. Um, and if they want you, how do they get you on Twitter? Um, I'm at Nick Cementa. Okay. And um, okay. Just N-I-C. Google me. Yeah. It's N-I-C-S-E-M-E-N-T-A. I am the only Nick Cementa spelled that way in the United States. If you put a K on it, you will find a mortgage broker living in upstate New York. That doesn't sound um, like We're you. friends on Facebook, but that's not me. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I'll put the link in the show notes so they should be able to find it. Absolutely. Dude, thank you for doing this. This was really cool. And no thank problem. and thank Anytime. the special guest star as well. Absolutely. Um, cool. All right. So I will talk to you later and thanks thanks again. All right, Dave. Have a great day.